bride-to-be or not-to-be had always been a precarious name for a wedding dress shop. Something new was now something old. Something borrowed had all been spent. Something blue was Lucy, Keeley and Jenny. Not even half-priced ivory pearl hair accessories had kept them afloat. At the lights by Quickfit, a pair of teachers in a car share glanced left and saw Keeley leading on the slunges to start the rars of bad romance. Lips pursed and eyebrows angry. A bony finger was wagging and snaking like a perimenopausal magic wand. These girls formed an inseparable bond in the early noughties doing reef strawpedos to Justin Timberlake. But Timberlake became Fletcher and they took a brief hiatus to fold washing and wipe surfaces for half a decade. It took one bank advert and they'd maxed out loans to start up the only wedding dress shop in 10 miles. What could possibly have gone wrong? Cosy live. It's bludgeoned them. And now they're unable to sell the stock. Who wants a faded wedding dress apart from Miss Havisham? They pretended the 40 watt lamps were atmospheric for a bit. But it was the four grand energy bills leading up to Christmas that did them in. When life gives you lemons, you suck it up, it says, in a frame in the back kitchen. Things have gone sour though. Their accounts had more holes than a potato waffle. How can it be Russia, man? Quizzed Keely, while she bagged up spare zips, tape and veils. Rent, council charges, tax, VAT, wages, stock, delivery, electricity, insurance, accounting, music license, phone, broadband, water, business bank charges, and then all the other miscellaneous side purchases, such as party bags and bucks fizz. So now they're having a little shop party before they have to load the last of the boxes. Audi's cheapest Prosecco o'clock, and a few other rowdy girls are joining them in a bit. A Bluetooth is at Max Vol, and it'll no doubt be a kebab wrap on the way home with the last of the milk and biscuits money from the tin. Lucy is separated. Keely is a newcomer to eHarmony. And Jenny's husband is one of those I'll wait in the car types. They reminisce about the hundreds of lasses they've squeezed into taffeta. That one with a tattoo of Michael Flatley that had gone a bit saggy like Bruce Forsyth. They wonder how many of their marriages are still in one piece now. Beyonce got them through the closing time on the worst days. Remember when Jenny wasn't in for a week and came back with loads of makeup on? They tried to get to open up. They failed. Kept things light in the shop. Lucy's worm to bugaboo looks like she's being tasered. Keely's got sweat patches behind her knees. Jenny's been too long in the toilet, comes out red-eyed and chucks her phone in the sofa. What's the matter, Jenny, man? Time for a group hug, group slug, and then some usher to cool down a bit. Been there, done it, humped around. The other girls all arrive and things get messy on the shop floor. Everyone has a tiara on. Kelly Young from Liberty X, who was an old friend from Youth Club, is there. And with a lace bolero on, back to front. Two bottles of M&S Carver in each hand. 
She's been to her car to get her auxiliary cable to get the UK carriage on. The hour is late and the yawning starts, a longing for comfies and taking off bras. We need the small fish in the sea, says Lucy as she strokes Jenny's hair while she stains her jeans with mascara. She'd been good at English at school. Fish bites, mumbles Jenny, lost in the metaphor. The sharks have got us by the balls, man, shouts Kelly from Liberty X, as though she were Mick Lynch in leather trousers. We've got to have a tough backbone to beat these poshies. But that's where her luxuriating in the metaphor ended, because So Solid dropped and Kelly from Liberty X only had 21 seconds until her heels gave way to her boxer-sized routine. Sharks don't have bones, mumbled Lucy. They're all cartilage and gristle. James's new passion was food waste, the prevention of, obviously, and since he began working mostly from home, his consumption of documentaries about consumption had gone through the triple insulated ceiling and out of the newly installed dormer window. Always a keen cook, James was now up to the avocado stones in ideas of how to be a more conscientious consumer. Tweakly visits to the community food store for lentils poured directly into our mason jars and an annual membership to the local vegan society which he liked to call Corn Hub. And it's not that I'm against this at all. I use the compost bin as much as the next person, only have pastrami at weekends. But we all know that James can go a bit OT fucking tea on things once he's keen. But I don't welcome a lecture on, over, or as a post-mortem to my dinners. Kath, babe, I'm hosting the bruised veg brunch this Saturday, remember? You're welcome to join us, of course. Join us at my own shitting kitchen table. But he's outside already, squirting his herb garden with some eco-brew to keep the pests down, but not out. His trousers are turned up two inches too high, and his hairy toes spill from vintage Birkenstocks, ripe and tangy enough to wipe out all green fly within a five-mile radius. Does he have a bobble on his wrist? Saturday morning comes. The spoils await the treatment. The stars of the show, two aggressively discounted iceberg lettuces from Sainsbury's. Four or five yellow price stickers haphazardly placed over the preceding one. An explosion of savings and an incredible waste of labels. Plastic wrap buried deep in the barred bin, never to be spoken of again. James looks smug as he emulsifies his salad dressing, vigorously using a gadget. Last call for these lads, 9p each. By my reckoning, this is close to 90% off. The actual portion of an iceberg that lies below the water. <laughs> the chickpeas are simmering in Earl Grey and the rich sauce is almost done. There's an apathetic wrapping at the gate and a handful of vegans follow James in through the bifolds. 
I nod at each of their bland, pale faces and say my name as they introduce themselves. As I get to the end of the line, the top knot and the glacial green eyes hit me hard. Hey you, Noah says, calmly as you like. I knocked up some parathas this morning, dude. I'll just pop them here, yeah? Noah's masterful hands placed the tea towel wrapped basket on the table. The tea towel was one of those normal, checked blue ones that every house has, but no one has ever bought. I hadn't expected this from Noah. You still doing the Punjabi chana masala? James nods coyly, and we dig into the food, which is actually pretty good, but I won't tell him. Delish, bro. Absolute fire. This from the Mira book, yeah? Facts. I need to get mine back from Harriet while I'm in these ends. The early afternoon sunlight floods the kitchen and ripples across the flaccid oranges that wait patiently on the bench tops. Aren't you and Harriet a thing now, Noah? I offer, casual as all hell, after an appropriate wait. Nah, that is so very done. I tear from a paratha, nibble gently on the buttery edges, and ask someone to pass me the chickpeas, feeling somewhat flushed from the excessive use of green chilies. Caitlin's inert mother Bridget has a face like a beige crash mat. She's barely left her house since the first lockdown. She was now into the third hour of her jigsaw portrait of the Queen, holding one of her babies wearing pearl earrings, a pearl necklace and a dress edged with velvet. The Queen, that is. Bridget thinks it could be Andrew in the photo, but she has absolutely no memory of that photograph ever being taken. She's a GB news addict now, without a care for the world outside, except making plans for Nigel. Not so much a racist, more a Piers Morgan stormtrooper with four Lakeland toaster bags. Her house had always smelt of dogs, but they'd never had a dog. She does a lot of knitting for the church bazaar. She'll keep baking as long as she can do the pastry, although she started buying the puff now she's reached 70. Puffs of pain, agrees Caitlin, counting the Royal Daltons that are men in riding boots. They're all so shiny, the women so skinny and pale. Bridget has written initials underneath each figurine of names that will inherit them when she dies. Caitlin gets a chubby old lady holding eight colourful balloons and a half-eaten fruitcake. When Caitlin was 14, she tripped up and dropped a Tupperware of stick insect eggs all over the hallway carpet of their family home and then never told anyone. Over the past 20 years, stick insects have been emerging from the dark corners of Bridget's house as they hatch, asexually reproduce, and then continue the cycle, always evading any amateur attempts to exterminate them. The latest in this dynastic family tree was sidestepping the edges of the Wilton Wiltax carpet, making Caitlin smile for the first time today. She often thought of these insects over the years as her children. 
Some of that trifle love. Mother calls daughter love, but has never been massively loving. Trifle ironic. Finger sponge base of evangelism. Custard from the Daily Mail. Jelly from Classic FM. And no brandy since Caitlin's dad died ten years ago. He took the dregs of the drinks cabinet with him, a neighbour had said, when he collapsed dead in quicksave. This is the man who called his daughter Bungle for most of her school days. A horrible bully. Yet photos of him are still propped everywhere, military ones especially. Bridget used to love listening to hours and hours of army stories from her sofa across the lounge from his chair. The chair they once found rosary beads sewn inside that smelt of rosemary. Or it might have been lavender. Did you say you'd done your wee? Bridget loudly whispered to Caitlin from behind the bedroom door of her childhood room. Caitlin's new boiler installation stretched into a second day, so she had to stay for the night. Yes, thanks, she said through the door. She and William had drawn two smiley faces on the hinge with felt-tip pen when they were five. No one in the world knew about them. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't bring herself to even open the door and check how faded they'd become. They used to share a birthday cake as well as bunk beds. Two different colours split down the middle with the same amount of candles on both sides. Even when he'd gone, they kept it up for a few years, until it got too much for them. One year, pink and blue accidentally seeped together and created a new shade of green, which William had said had been the best cake in the whole wide world ever. Thanks to the bumper book of mindfulness, Caitlin's phone is never in the same room as her at night, but she wondered whether Adam had texted he sometimes replies straight away, but then he sometimes takes ages. She often sees him online, but not double blue ticking her messages. He's probably thinking of something good to reply, she thinks. So far, they had racked up six Call the Midwives together, upteen gutter balls, a lackadaisical lap around home base, before an hour in hobbycraft on a cross-stitch binge, three lunches at the little teapot, where he always ordered a salad for some reason. Loads of nights over at his. He likes his place, he says. His sofa, his hob. He'd only been inside Caitlin's flat once, in the afternoon, so she could pick up some clothes. The orange of the street light at the end of the drive seemed murkier than she remembered. Perhaps taking her socks off might help her sleep. Perhaps putting on another pair might. You never stop worrying about insomnia. It keeps you awake at night. She always held her own hands when trying to sleep, one hand cupping the other. She wavered between audiobook, podcast, and just turning her pillow over to the cold side and staring. Staring at the cracks in the plaster, the same cracks she used to track when she was in sick form. Most of the cracks had now stretched across the whole ceiling now, except one. What a waste. Tina B's embrace of the Mobility Scooter had been a game changer. 
a once landlocked widow, unsteady on her flat feet and stricken by North Sea winds. Tina was back out there, rolling. The Freerider 500 was her weekday ride, her go-to in a fleet of three. A steady away vehicle that served most purposes very well. A heavier duty Alpine prowess served her on icy days. And a customised beastly titan sat parked in front of her bungalow. Wheels turned stylishly and personalised registration played gleaming. Tina B. This was a gift from her beloved son Robert, a skilled mechanic and saved for special days. Today was such a day. The pie and peas supper at the poacher's pocket, followed by beetle drive with the girls. As Tina blazed a four miles per hour trail along the bottom road, she enjoyed the warm breeze as it ruffled her fine, sparse, silken hair. In her leather jacket and wraparound Oakleys, Tina felt like Debbie Harry, and she smiled to think how they were the same age. The jacket was imitation leather of course, as Tina had gone vegetarian that day, five years ago. The day she had chosen to reclaim her life from the cruel grasp of Mike, her late husband. It had been time. Time for a change. Time to give up meat as she had wished to do since the 70s. Time to cut her hair into that stylish bob and lose the extra length Mike had insisted upon. Time to drink pints if she wanted to, not halves. Time to see her friends. Time to drive herself wherever she wanted to go, whenever she wanted to go there. Five years ago, as the evening sun caught the silvery glint of her swollen eye. Mike and Tina had crossed the bridge as she walked into the pub. The tide ebbed quickly beneath them. Swirling beds of weeds, carrier bags and driftwood gathered around the cutwaters. Mike had stopped by the low handrail to roll a cigarette and Tina had simply given him one gentle shove backwards. No one but the heron had seen a thing, and Mike's death was ruled accidental. He was too arrogant to learn to swim, and had bobbed a mile and a half downstream, broken and saturated, until the police had fished him out, the insurance payout, alongside his secret stash, although never truly secret, had topped up Tina's pension nicely. As she approached the bridge on her way to Pine Peas, Tina dropped her speed to two miles an hour. She took a 50 pence piece from her purse and flipped it skillfully into the water, saluting the heron which stood poised on the now adequate railings and took flight upriver. Tina turned the speed dial away from the tortoise symbol and towards the hare, accelerating into the hazy evening now perfectly in control.
Beth skidded on baked bean juice for the second time today, but she was quick to grab the side of the slushy machine and find her balance. Welcome to Crazy Dens, the loudest and mankiest soft play in town, on a par with the Wuhan wet market for germs. As her air max stabilised her and she checked them for beans, the screaming coming from Angel's fourth party was now sounding torturous. What can a parent do when every child wants to play on a new frozen umbrella at once? She checked her phone quickly in the back pocket. Nothing from Aiden. She knew he'd be on his group chats now because of the football. So she typed, Are we still going Nando's later? The speed she could text as well as slide plastic chairs back into position as well as remind Megan about the quarter pounders was what you get when you've done every Saturday since year 10. Her two pairs of black work leggings had seen sauce, gravy, sweat, snot, slushy, blood, all sorts. She'd been the obsession of various skin fades over the years. Useless mans with no plans. Beth was the only one who knew all the words to that song Superman by heart. She was the crazy den's OG. She'd be the manager in a year. She slopped four hardly touched nuggets and chips back into the black bin where untouched salad mounted into an iceberg. An acrid smell of vomit was floating from the disabled. Terry or Jenny's job later. Or Wallace and Vomit, as they were known to the youngsters. Clumps of quavers had been mashed into the ladybird cannons. Another day, another football kit in the wash. Beth sat on the freezing staff toilet biting her bottom lip and puffing her fake eyelashes up. Eight days was late. She knew it. Amy made a good case for it being her body getting used to the new pill. But Beth's head was gone. She opened Snapchat again. Do you still love me? She deleted it. Would you stay with me? She deleted that too. The distinctive sweet and vinegary smell of bin was seeping under the door. She was on her way outside with it. She saw Aiden had come online and she quickly typed, Harry Kane again, as if this would be news to him. But it was a most desperate attempt. She deleted it. Outside by the bins, the cold February air made her skin tingle. The thick coating of chip fat slid off the furry hairs on her arms. It was dark and misty, like the muffled bass notes of George Ezra she could hear from inside. Was it just her who didn't know what a homegrown alligator was? It'll be wiping down time soon. The bus stop would be freezing. What if that weirdo was there again? kid at 20 wasn't in her plan. Most of her mates had come close, a couple had kept it. It'll be okay. Plenty of hand-me-downs on the estate. She re-entered dens and the posh mums in the corner were still bitching. Their expensive sweatshirts and bright red lipstick intimidated poor Beth. They were too polite to make her at ease. Their daughters put their cutlery together and none had asked about her acrylics. She guessed they were all nearly 40. A quick and easy takeaway sum told Beth she was over 10 years younger than them when they fell pregnant. 
Look at their lush tan. They smell like the women in John Lewis. Beth currently smelt of boiled burgers. Her phone buzzed. He'd sent a chicken emoji and a love heart. Beth stood under the harsh fluorescent strip light beside the Minions machine. She felt herself welling up, wiped her nose on her hoodie. No one would realise. A tear from her right eye dripped onto a chuck-a-chuck lolly that someone had given up trying to open. Better do the little bins now, she thought. plastic wrapper from a six-pack of Highland Spring moved effortlessly in the most sporadic of winds, a tumbleweed that traversed the building site which lay dormant on this Sunday afternoon. Drink more water was now on the list. Check in, five a day, not potatoes. Sudoku's, live, laugh, love, air fryers, reduced salt bisto, Seven a day, not potatoes. Dry January, stretching. Stop telling me what to do. Kirk had never drunk a full glass of water in his entire life, aside from the sad little plastic beakers when taking tablets in hospital. Whether from a milky tap caked in lime scale, or filtered through an ancient and pristine landscape, it was all the same to him. I've survived 91 years without it, and I'm not changing now, he told the nurse. So off your fuck now, pet, he said with a smile. Kirk took the same route to Morrison's each day, via the paper shop, for the obligatory obituaries of the local rag. 0.3 miles of gentle hills, according to Google Maps, and an unsteady but satisfactory 22-minute shuffle for Kirk. His end goal being the bagged rotisserie chickens before the lunchtime rush took the breast of them. Arriving home, warm and sweating gently inside its foil coffin, despite the five minute wait for fresh chips at Waiai Fry, this meal had sustained Kirk six days a week since his wife's passing some years ago now. On Sundays, he ate a roast with his son and his new partner. Whatever was served, Kirk took only slices of the chicken breast meat, a handful of roast potatoes and a single Yorkshire pudding. Upon being picked up in the Toyota Hybrid, Kirk would climb gingerly into the front. In the back, his son's partner would be squeezed between the car seats containing the twins. For no particular reason, Kirk set out slightly earlier this day and the ground was squeaky and glittery beneath his shuffling feet. He moved noisily in the weather and tore poked a dog shit, unplucked yet crisp, hermetically sealed within its epidermis and offering no scent. It rolled into a full gurgling drain without interruption. Kirk passed a house that had celebrated a birthday the afternoon previous and as he moved on, the deflating balloon moseyed beneath the street sign of Cedar Road. On the balloon was written, a simple happy birthday, arced over the grinning face of a chimpanzee wearing yellow sunglasses. The balloon and the primate's mirthless smile 
caught the gentlest wind and bobbed rhythmically against the foot of the sign. In the repetitive beats, Kirk heard the intro to Bill Haley and the Comets' rock around the clock, a hit from when he was 24 or 25, and courting her before. His thoughts cut from the big church dance where he'd made his move to here where he stood today, glitching momentarily on that day when the box had sunk gently beneath ground, surrounded by the green matting and the weeping villagers. His eyes stung as sunlight blistered from behind a cloud. With a sharp stab of his stick, Kirk burst the balloon straight through the primate's gurning, a low pop sound, gone before you truly heard it. Kirk saw another balloon with the same design, listless on the fake grass of the house next door. He entered the driveway and jabbed again at the new balloon, which was less deflated and offered more resistance, parried his lunge as though mocking him and his feebleness. This angered Kirk, and he moved again, slower this time, but with more vigour. He met it sweetly, and the balloon seemed to vanish, a useless, ragged knot tied to a ribbon, dead and lifeless. Kirk caught a glimpse of another balloon, peekabooing from the chassis of a 4x4. He reached his stick beneath the vehicle, and attempted to retrieve the last monkey mocking him, but the angle, the darkness, and the drafts made it difficult. Just as he was about to leave, the balloon gave up its game, rolling out smoothly and resting face down this time. Kirk stood with one foot upon it, as though he was Bobby Moore about to kick off in 1966. He raised his stick slowly, Except Bobby Moore didn't kick off in 1966. Kirk hesitated and tried to recall who had actually started the greatest match he'd ever seen. But nothing came to him. After a minute or so, he sensed eyes upon him, his stick poised awkwardly three feet from the ground. From a bedroom window above a garage, a young girl looked down, glum, but not yet crying.